So we're ready for the word. Let's see what the Lord is going to say to us this morning. So I've been talking about our walk with God, and that's the theme that is on our central screen, walking with God. And it didn't go the way I planned it. You know, I'm, I'm only getting through one or two sessions of my notes per service, so we've been going on for a while with this. But let's just continue to walk through this message, because the whole reason why Jesus came was so that we could walk with God. And that illustration of walking with God as a lifestyle lived with God is throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Isn't that right? And so Paul even talks about the fact that, um, and it's an old-fashioned word which we now use for communication, talking between two people. But Paul says in Philippians 3, I think it's verse 20, he said, let your conversation be as from heaven. So in other words, and listen, the reality of it is the, this is true. Our conversation needs to be from heaven. Is that right? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, our conversation needs to be heavenly in every way. That's why Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. He says, avoid, stay away from, do not get into coarse joking, foolish talk, bad jokes. You know, it shouldn't be part of our Christian conversation because we should be speaking as from heaven. So Peter says in 1 Peter 4, he said, the one who speaks, speak as the very oracles of God. Speech is powerful. Is that okay? Words are powerful. Words can heal. You know, they don't only convey concepts, but they convey spirit. Yeah. That's why John says in 1 John chapter 4, he says, test every spirit to see whether it is from God. And he goes on to tell us how to test the spirit. You see, very often we think that it's just pure discernment, that we're kind of just going, you know, putting out our spiritual vibes, you know, and it's like, this person's got the wrong spirit. You know, it's like, you know, whoa. And that kind of thing. It's not a vibe. When John says, test every spirit to see if it's from God, he's talking about what they are communicating, what they are teaching. In other words, what they are saying about Jesus Christ. He says, because the spirit that is not from God denies that Christ came in the flesh. So I like what one theologian once said. He said, keep speaking because I'm picking your brain. Because our speech conveys more than words. Is that okay? So our conversation must be from heaven. But secondly, not only that, our whole lifestyles, we must walk as if we were walking in the heavenlies. You know, from that realm. Isn't that right? Because Jesus emptied himself, left heaven, and he came and he walked amongst us. And then he walked as the pattern of heaven. And that is how we need to walk. Is that okay? So last week we looked at two things. Number one, we looked at walking in righteousness, walking in holiness. And it started to sound like one of those old-timey 40s and 50s holiness messages. But we need to hear it again because holiness is in the Bible. Righteousness is in the Bible. Amen? So the second thing that I dealt with last week, and I said, you know, to walk in holiness is also to walk in love because the greatest description of holiness that we have in the Bible, and there's many places where we can look, is 1 Corinthians 13, where the Apostle Paul describes to us the qualities of love. 
Love is patient. Well, so is holiness. Love is kind. So is holiness. And so the love of God is equal to the holiness of God because his love is so pure. See, we struggle to equate love and holiness because we've never experienced, I'm talking human terms, absolute divine pure love. It's always been limited. It's always been finite. At times it's been conditional. Other times it's used as a bartering tool, whereas God's love, God's kind of love, the agape love of God, is so pure and so unconditional that it's difficult for us to even relate to. Amen? And so our walk needs to be in righteousness, and our walk needs to be in holiness. You're good, and in love. So I like what D.L. Moody says, if you walk with the world, you can't walk with God. So you can't walk on two paths at the same time unless you're very clever. And I know ACF people are extremely clever, but not even you can do that. Okay. And then walking in love. So one of the things that I want to talk about this morning is that it's really, really important to, in our Christian walk, to have something that is called certainty. Because if you're certain about things, you will walk boldly with God. Is that Okay. So we can say it another way. We can talk about assurance. We need to have an assurance in our relationship with the Lord. Um, you know, one of the things, probably the first thing that the enemy challenged in you after you got born again was the fact that you're born again. And he was challenging your assurance of salvation. Isn't that right? And it's amazing that if you don't have assurance, if you don't have certainty, you become unstable in your walk. You can become up and down in your walk. You can walk sometimes with God and then sometimes not with God. So it's important to have assurance. You know, you just got to read through the letters of John. Just go through First John and he talks about, we know that so that we can know that. And he keeps talking about no. Why? Why? Because he realized the importance of knowing. You need to know certain things. One of the things that you need to know is that your sins are forgiven. Is that okay? You need to know. You need to have an assurance in your heart that you are now the righteousness of God in Christ. Secondly, you need to have this a knowledge and assurance that when you do blow it, if you do sin, that when you do ask for forgiveness, God immediately forgives you and immediately removes your sin from you as far as the east is from the west, that he immediately puts it into the area of his forgetfulness, that even if you came back two seconds later and you say to God, remember that sin, God would say, no, I don't, because he has that ability to eradicate it from his thinking. It doesn't feature in his thought processes. It's not part of the relationship anymore. And he does not allow your sin to separate you and him. It's the times we, you know, our consciences condemn us before God, but we need to learn how to deal with that conscience. So I'm not talking about, you know, becoming seared in our consciences. I'm talking about educating our consciences. Is that okay? So that we can say to the Lord, but Lord, I have repented of this. I have confessed this and I've received your forgiveness. Then you can teach your conscience to be quiet. 
Because John tells us in 1 John, he says, God is greater than our hearts. Fortunately, he is. Isn't that right? Because sometimes our hearts and with our unrenewed minds act as if they're greater than God. And, you know, it can really punish us. It can really sting us. It can really condemn us. But Paul tells us how to put our hearts at rest in his presence. And one of the ways is by repentance and accepting forgiveness and then continuing to walk right with God. Can I have an amen? Amen. And so it's important for our walk to deal with those things. We need to be sin-forgiven-minded as we walk on this road with God. I love it. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 9. Samuel says this, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. I like Psalm 17, verse 5. My steps have held fast to your paths, My feet have not slipped. Psalm 119 verse 133. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let not iniquity get dominion over me. Don't you just love those verses? You know, we've got footsteps that we can follow. I remember, and you've seen it on TV and maybe in movies, but I remember in the army, you know, when you were deployed out to areas and particularly near the border, and um, where, you know, the area had been mined extensively. And the engineers would come in and they would go through and they've got different methods of clearing the antipersonal mines and the landmines and things like that. And once they'd gone through and cleared and established a safe track to go through, you would be really stupid to try and walk another route. You would be really confident to put your steps in the steps of that engineer who had cleared the field and take the path that he's um, established for you to get through. Well, you know that Jesus came and he walked his life and he left a route for us and a path and a manner of walking. And we would be really stupid not to walk (laughs) the way that he walks. Amen. Because when we walk on that route, I mean, God establishes our steps. Isn't that right? So it's a safe route. You know, it doesn't lead us into temptation. It doesn't lead us into negative situations. God's route is always a good route. Amen? And the longer you walk with God, the more you start to realize that it's absolutely brilliant, you know, to walk with the Lord. So let's go to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. And I want us to read from verse 1. So we're going to read it together. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, I could preach on that. But let's go to verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things. Everybody say all things. All things. Not some things. All things. That pertain unto life and godliness. Now, some teach that that's our spiritual lives and godliness. But I think I agree with others that say he's talking about our lives. He's given us all things that pertain to our lives. Because if you're lacking something... There's a good verse for you which tells us that God has given us all things pertaining to life. You know, which includes joy and peace and other things, all right? And for your godliness, for your godly walk with God, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. 
So that's what God's called us to do. Now, verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding. What do you say? Exceeding. Great. Everyone say great. And precious. Say precious. Promises. He hasn't just given us promises. He's given us exceeding great and precious promises. I like what one Bible teacher once said. There's at least 8,000 promises in the Bible. So I think your life is covered, okay? Okay. And he says that by these, so that's by his promises backed by his power, that by them we might become partakers of the divine nature. Now there's a mouthful right there. Isn't that right? That we start to partake in his divine nature. I mean, how awesome is that? Listen, look at the person next to you. They're not just somebody. No, no, no. They're new creatures in Christ. They are partakers of the divine nature. They contain things of divinity. Amen? There's a divine aspect to them. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And that's the lust of the eyes, the lust of flesh, etc., etc., etc. Let's go on to verse 5. Stick with me because this is going to be good. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Be a virtuous person, a good person. And to virtue, knowledge, so that we can keep growing. And to knowledge, temperance. That's just a nice, even, balanced life. To temperance, patience, patience, patience. I don't know why God seems to always work on that one. And to patience, godliness. What do you say, godliness? And then he goes on to say, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity or love. Now, I want you to look at verse 8. You know, he's given us some qualities. In other words, when you get born again, when you get saved, you've got great and precious promises. And he says, when you get saved to your salvation, all of those things need to be added, okay? And then he goes on, for if these things be in you, the things that he just mentioned, you know, the brotherly kindness and love and all of those things, he says, listen to this, and abound in them, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hold that verse there because, you know, there are millions of Christians in South Africa, millions but you would not think that we were a Christian country. You would not. You would not think that we're a Christian country when you hear of Christians stealing, Christians involved in corruption, Christians involved in all kinds of things. They've made a confession of faith, and possibly, you know, if they die, they would be in the presence of Jesus. But right now, they are neither fruitful and they're barren in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be fruitful and not barren in our walk with Jesus. Okay, so look at verse 9. He says, he that lacketh these things is blind. If you don't have them, you're blind. Okay, now remember Apostle Peter is saying this. Is that okay? If you lack these things, you're blind and cannot see afar off. You're nearsighted. So either nearsighted or blind. And he says, and you have forgotten that you were purged purged from your old sins, purged. Isn't that an awesome word? You know, sometimes when you pick up a tummy bug and then it feels like every hole in your body is spewing something out. Nobody's ever had that, okay. Or is that too much detail? 
But it gets to the stage where even if you drink water, I mean, as fast as you're drinking, it's coming up. You know, you're topping and tailing, they say. You know, it's just coming out. What your body is doing is a purge. Because it says this thing, this bug, this, you know, whatever it is, has got to get out. And there's a complete cleanse. That was really amazing. That's the same word where God has purged you from your old sins. And I don't know about you, but I think that's absolutely awesome. When I got born again, I got purged of my old sins. And so, it, it, you know, my system got such a good clean up that when Jesus came and inspected me and he says, no sin, you've been purged. Woo! I mean, it's absolutely awesome, isn't it? And so it's really important for us to walk in the consciousness of the fact that my past sins have been cleansed because otherwise it keeps eroding my confidence in my walk with God. Come on, church. If there's someone here this morning, and there's just some word of advice that I could give you out of this sermon. If there's stuff in your past that is still haunting you and still pursuing you, take an hour, take two hours, get into the presence of God, sit down and say, God, why is this thing pursuing me? Why is this thing chasing my conscience? Why is this thing still resulting in condemnation? And if I was you, I'd get those scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I'd go to Jeremiah 29. I would go to Hebrews 10. And I would go and look at those verses that tell us that my sin and unrighteousness, he remembers no more because he's removed it from me by the blood of Jesus as far as the east is from the west. Listen, the enemy is so good at reminding you of your past that it affects your future walk with God. If I was you, I would sit down and deal with it once and for all. Sit down and say, okay, God, you know, this is what the enemy has reminded me. This is what my conscience has reminded me of. Sit down, write it down and say, Lord, I'm not going to go through this again. Today, I'm going to deal with this thing and I'm going to confess this thing again. And I will keep the list because when it comes up again, I'm going to put a line on it. I'm going to point my finger to it and I'm going to remind my conscience and the accuser of the brethren that this thing is under the blood of Jesus. And he's got no right to go and take it out again and come and wave it in front of my face. Come on, our sins were crucified with Christ on the cross. The letter of accusation that stood against us was another thing that was nailed to the cross. Is that okay? So there's no letter of accusation against us. If he comes and waves a document in front of you, I want you to know it is a photostat copy that he's kept. You can tell him to take it and go and burn it in hell where he belongs. Is that right? Come on, because God wants us to walk in an assurance and a confidence with him. Amen. Amen. So, so the next thing that I want to talk about, and we did speak a little bit about it, is walking in the Spirit. I mean, I think it's just so phenomenal. Did you know that um, walking in holiness, a couple of weeks ago I touched on it, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And I remember I showed you that the primary leading of the Holy Spirit is to lead you out of the old nature, to lead you out of flesh, and to lead you into the character of Jesus. Remember that? But we all talk about how the Lord led us to go and talk to a person. And that's a part of it, but that's not the main part of the leading of the Holy Spirit. So Galatians 5.22 tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. But when you go down to verse 25, Galatians 5, 25, thanks Stephen, it tells us since we live by the Spirit, or if we live by the Spirit, 
Other translations say, since we live by the Spirit. In other words, I am alive because of the animating power of the Holy Spirit in me. I owe my new birth to the indwelling presence of God, to the person of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Is that okay? And you know, the Pentecostals and Charismatics love to look at that verse. And the first thing they think about is walking through the day, getting words and knowledge for people and prophesying to people and, you know, don't go this way, go this way and all of that kind of thing. And listen, that's an invaluable part of the Holy Spirit's work. And I'm not putting that down. But what I'm doing is I'm saying the prime Prime meaning of that is to walk in holiness, is to walk in the Spirit. Listen, the more you walk like Jesus, the more in the Spirit you're walking. You see, Pentecostals and Charismatics don't like this. The Baptists do. The Anglicans do. Because they'll say, I'm walking in the Spirit if I'm walking and living a right life. Pentecostals, no, we want to have visions and dreams and all that. And listen, and I love it. I love it more than what you do. But there's another aspect to it. To walk and live in the Spirit is to walk and live righteously. It's to walk a holy life. That's walking in the Spirit. Is that okay? Because the Spirit is also used in the Bible as in contradiction or contradistinction to the law. So it's either the law or the Spirit. Is that okay? So we are no longer under the law, but we're living our life in the Spirit. So what it means then, you know, it's to walk right with God. If you walk right with God, church... You are walking in the Spirit. I just need one louder amen, please. Just, I, just, I really need for you to understand that that is the walk. So listen to this. He says, the path of God is a highway. It's a highway. I love what, um, I think it's somewhere around Isaiah 11, 11, 16, somewhere around there. But God speaks to the children of Israel, and he says, I'm going to provide for you a highway to walk in. A highway. Not just a track, you know. But a highway, it's going to be easy route. And he talks about, in particular, for the children of Israel to be able to walk out of Assyria from Assyrian captivity. I'm going to provide for you a highway. In other words, to walk out of bondage, to walk out of captivity, to walk into the land of promise, to walk, there it is. So, when they came up from Egypt, okay. Oh, yeah, from Assyria, like when they came up from Egypt. In other words, I'm going to lead you out of the negative, and I'm going to lead you into the positive. I'm going to take you out of captivity, and I'm going to put you, I'm going to take you into a land of promises. And God said that route is like a highway. Is that okay? So there's a lot of Bible teachers. I'm going to throw it in here now. There's a lot of Bible teachers. Revelation 21 where it talks about the city of God, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. You know, they all talk about that's going to be up there when we die, we're going to go to heaven. And then they say, and it's got streets of gold. First of all, he's not describing something in the hereafter. He's describing something spiritually in spiritual terms that is here, that is us. Is that okay? And he doesn't say streets, plural. He says it has a street of gold. Isn't it amazing? You know, it's picture language. So we're not going to die and go to heaven and we're going to walk around these streets of gold and things like that. You know, they do all these fancy sermons. You know, it's like, you know, people over here, they chase off to gold. They're over there. The streets are paved with gold. We're going to walk on it. It's going to be on our feet. In my opinion, it's wrong doctrine, okay? And so it has one street. Everybody say street of gold. 
See, that's the way that we walk with God. Is that all right? That is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, you know? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I love it. Revelation 22. Okay, I've just blown some people now. Now you're looking at me. Please don't alter heaven for us. Now look, it's far more glorious in a city and a street. You know, it's, it's, you know, you're in the presence of God, okay? All I'm doing is I'm taking heaven, I'm bringing it a lot closer. Is that okay? So, when you are the new Jerusalem. You are the heavenly city. And it has a street of gold. Gold means pure, or it means divine. It's a divine way. It's the pure way. It's a holy way that you walk with God. Woo-woo! Woo! Have I just affected someone's theology? Thank you, Jesus. Good. Awesome. All right. And so it's a way, but let's have a look at this. Revelation 22. He beholds and he looks and he sees the throne of God and the Lamb. And out of them comes a river of the pure water of life. Out of them, which is the Holy Spirit. Look at this. As clear as crystal flowing from the throne. Woo! The throne of God and the Lamb. Look at this. Now look at verse 2. Down the middle of the great street of the city. One. On each side of the river. So it's really incredible. And you need to put in the King James to have a really good look at it. So out of them comes this river. So if you look at it in the King James, the river is the street. In other words, it's for those who will walk in the Spirit. Come on, church. That's a good revelation. That's a good one, isn't it? So look at the King James. In the midst of the street of it, of what? Of the pure water of life, the river that was flowing out, is the street of it. And in the middle of the street of it, there's trees, the tree of life, but there's 12 of them. So in other words, if we walk this way in the Spirit, in holiness, it's a divine way. So in other words, the godly walk there. Is that right? And also, it's a fruitful road. Because if you walk on this, you're going to be a fruit. Come on, church. Woo! Hallelujah. So listen to this. I love this. And um, uh, one of the things about walking in the paths of God, Hebrews 12, verse 12, it says, Therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, because he's talking about fixing your eyes on Jesus and then living your life. Is that right? And so we need to walk with Jesus as our focus. But this verse is quoted from Isaiah 35, verses 4 to 6. So listen to it very carefully. Because, you know, when you walk God's way, when you walk on God's street, when you walk in the way, the truth, and the life, there is an enabling. There is a strengthening. And look, there's times when it gets tough, and there's times when we get weary. But Paul reminds us in Hebrews, and Isaiah reminds us, that God will strengthen our feeble knees and our feeble arms. So listen to Isaiah 35, 46. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Listen to this. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing for waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You see, if we walk in God's way, even barrenness will start to become productive. If we walk, others, others around us, if they're not walking in God's ways, will be experiencing wilderness, we will be experiencing water.
So what does water do in a desert? It causes it to bloom, to blossom, to flourish. It changes it. Is it okay? So what I'm leading to is walking in holiness is walking, definitely walking in the Spirit. So now we're going to go just a few verses on from that. The next verse, verse 7. It says, The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Listen to this. Verse 8. And a highway will be there. Come on, everyone say highway. You see, it's not a straight and narrow way. It is in a sense. But in another sense, it's a highway. It's a highway. So Isaiah is very much prophesying the New Testament era. He was saying, under the law, it was wilderness, barrenness, drought, famine, all those kinds of things. Because the terms and conditions of the law was, if you don't fulfill the law, God withholds rain, produces drought. Drought leads to famine. And famine continues long enough, vegetated areas become wilderness areas. And so that is a description of a life without the Spirit. That is a description of us trying to live our lives with our own strength and our own power. So Isaiah starts to prophesy. That's why in Isaiah 40, he starts to talk about there's coming a highway. And a voice in the wilderness saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Every mountain brought down, every hill brought up to make level paths for the glory of God. And he was prophesying about Jesus. And he was saying, so when Jesus comes, there's a highway. Woo! But of course, when Jesus comes, he brings the Spirit. Is that all right? So here's what he's talking about. And a highway will be there. It will be called what? The way of holiness. Wouldn't it be nice if our government, the next highway, they, they named it the way of holiness? Wouldn't it be good? Wouldn't it be good, huh? This highway, yeah, we're going to change the N3 to the way of holiness. See, we need the way of holiness. We need a highway. And he says the unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. Isn't that amazing? You know, walking with God is just such an incredible thing. If you have a look at the next verse, it says, no lion will be there. How many of you know, Peter says that the devil goes around like a roaring lion, seeking who may devour. Listen, if you walk on the way of holiness, there's no lion there. No, there isn't. There's no lion there. Can I have another amen? You know, because if you're not walking in God's way, you're walking on the enemy's territory. And there are lions there, like in the old maps of Africa. And then, you know, this cartographer is drawing this map, you know, the early explorers. And in this one particular place on the map, you know, you can go back, you know, 15, 16, 1700s or whenever it was, and they came out to Africa. And so you can see on this one map, he writes, and it says, there be dragons. If you don't walk on the way of God there be a dragon there. There be a lion there. You know, it's amazing to me. I get so many messages on Facebook. So for all those that message me with this, I'm now talking to you. They'll message me and say, Prophet, I need to come and see you. I need to come and see why the devil is attacking me so much. You're walking on the wrong path. I remember Reynold Bonker 
saying once, this young man came up to Reynard Bonk and he said, Oh, Pastor Reynard, please can you pray for me because I feel like I've got demons just all buzzing around my head. And he said, have you ever seen flies sitting on a hot stove? And the young man said, no. And he says, well, then get on fire for God. And I'll stop buzzing around your head. Amen? I mean, we need a bit more of that counseling, isn't that right? I mean, why are you having poltergeists at night? Why are demons, why do demons feel they've got the right to come and appear in your house and start moving things around? Come on, if you walk on that highway, there'd be no lions there. There'd be no dragons there. Nor will any ferocious beasts get upon it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed, they walk there. Woo! Therefore the redeemed of the Lord, was a song that we sang, shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And so we need to walk on the highway. Isn't that right? We need to walk on that particular road. We need to walk. I like what Jack Hyle says. God's mighty power comes when God's people learn to walk with God. So listen to this. There's a phenomenal story, and you might not even pick it up. But if you go to Zechariah chapter 4, because having said what I said, there is a a reality of walking in the Spirit where you know and understand that you're walking in another realm. And that's where God wants us to walk. But it starts primarily with us walking on the highway of righteousness and truth and holiness. Okay? And um, in Zechariah 4, Zechariah explains this dream, and the angel returned again and wakened me as one is wakened from the sleep. And then he looks up and he sees a golden lampstand, and he says, what do you see? And he explains what he sees, and he says, this is the word of the Lord to you. And then he gives the word. But I really like the chapter before. In chapter 3, there's Joshua. Now, Zechariah is the prophet. It's in the book of Zechariah, chapter 3. And he sees Joshua. Joshua and Zerubbabel were two that came back with the help to help with the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And Joshua was a priest. And it says... In, um, go and read it this week. It's really awesome. I maybe meditate on it a little bit. It's very powerful. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But in Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah sees Joshua, the high priest, standing before the Lord. And the enemy standing on his right-hand side to accuse him. Well, there be the lion. There be the dragon. Zechariah chapter 3 verse one, this is a dude in the NIV. Showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. It's really interesting that he comes onto your right hand side because he's attracting your strength by accusation. Okay? And then verse 2, he says, The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? I mean, there's a good example of the intercession of God or the intercession of Christ when the enemy comes to accuse us. Isn't that beautiful? And so verse 3 says, Now Joshua is dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Now it's amazing, or he stood before God. The angel was standing by. The devil was at his right-hand side to accuse him. Joshua was standing before God. And he was dressed in filthy rags. And, you know, that is what we look like not saved. And so, and obviously, maybe Joshua was not in a good place with God. But look at, let's look at verse 4. 
And he says, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. So the angel says to those who were standing before him. So there were others. There were others in the spiritual realm. It was God. There was this particular angel, probably Joshua's angel. But there were others in the spiritual realm and then Satan standing. Then he said, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Don't, don't you like that? I mean, that's really awesome. God just put him on that highway of holiness. <laughs> and Zechariah is so into this prophetic vision. I mean, he's living it. He's watching this thing happen, but he's living. He's right there in the spirit. Look what the next verse 5 says. Then I said, now Zechariah starts prophesying into this vision that God's given him. How many of you know you can get caught up in the spirit? I mean, this is the stuff that we really like to hear. But I prefixed it by saying, but we walking in the spirit starts with us walking in holiness. Is that okay? So Zechariah starts to prophesy and he goes, hey, don't forget the priestly mitre, you know, the headdress. Put a clean turban on his head. Why did Zechariah say that? Because there was on the, a mitre on the turban and it said holiness unto the Lord. So he was saying, put that on his head and clothe him while the angels stood by. So now Zechariah is caught up in the spirit and he's prophesying. So by the spirit, he is in that realm. Are you with me? So now look at verse 6. Woo, now it's getting good. Then the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. So listen, everybody, are you all listening? ACF, are you listening? So this morning, Apostle Prophet John is saying, I give you this charge. Is it okay? So I give you this charge. The, the charge is in verse 7. Are you watching? So God says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways, the highway of holiness. Listen to this. And keep my requirements, his will, his word, his principles. Then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you a place. Among these standing here. Come on, somebody. So Zechariah is seeing in the spirit realm, and he's seeing people in the heavenlies. And basically, what God was saying to Joshua now, if you will walk in my ways, keep my requirements, you know, walk according to the principles of the word, you will have authority. Everybody say authority. Come on, your authority comes from the Spirit. Is that right? comes from within. It's not something you try to earn. It's not something you bully people into giving you. But when you walk in the ways of God, when you walk according to His will, if you walk according to His principles, you automatically get an authority in your spirit because you start to walk in a spiritual realm, a heavenly realm, that is loaded with power and authority. Come on, church. Can somebody say amen? amen? That's when things will happen where you walk into a room and demons will come out. Demons will automatically manifest because you've walked in, because you walk 
differently according to the ways of this world. I remember there's many testimonies, but I'm going to try and finish now. There's many testimonies, but I remember once I was in an extended time of fasting and prayer, and I'd been just hiding in the presence of God. And that morning I had to go to the bank, and I went to the Standard Bank. My turn came, and I went up to the little window, and I put the slip of paper in, and uh, I had been watching this particular teller, and, you know, she'd been serving normally everybody. You know, she was fine. But when I got there and I put the piece of paper through and I put my hands on the counter and I just leaned forward to watch her process the transaction, something started to happen to her. But she got extremely, extremely agitated. She was agitated. She was flustered and it was like she'd completely lost the plot and lost her cool. And she was fussing with this piece of paper and she started going, she didn't know what what she was doing. <laughs> she didn't know. She was standing there with a pen and she was like, and she kept turning the page and just, and she kept going, <clears throat> you know, and just moving this paper around. And I suddenly started to realize something is stirred up. So I just put my hands on the counter and I leaned forward to her and I said, um, good morning. And she looked up and she said, good morning. I said, peace. And she just sat back and she started to fill out the form. See, the enemy knows, people know, when you're walking with God. Is that okay? And so I, I want to give you the same charge that God gave to Joshua. A few weeks ago, Auntie Jenny taught this in the, and I'm going to just give you a quick rundown and then stop. Um, she taught this in the ladies' meeting. When David started to get rest from Saul and from all the surrounding nations, Philistines, Moabites, Syrians, Ammonites, Edomites. He wrote a psalm, which is recorded in Psalm 18, and uh, the entire psalm, and it's exactly what Samuel wrote in 2 Samuel 22, verse 34. When David was recounting his successes, he said this, He maketh my feet like hinds' feet. A hind is a particular kind of deer or a heart. It could be the doe of a stag of a deer. And it says, and setteth me upon high places. It says exactly the same. Habakkuk says the same thing. He says, the Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. It really is interesting that the same creature, during the days when I was in the army, we were stationed in a particular place, and there were a lot of those granite dwellers, you know, sticking out. And I'm talking high, as high as, you know, copies or small mountains. And I remember the one day, and we were extremely fit, and I remember one day, a couple of us, and then we decided to walk up this one dweller, this one big granite outcrop, and we started to walk up, and there was two clip springers. So we said, hey, let's catch them, let's give them a go. We fancied it because we were so fit. And we took off and we started running up this rock. Well, those things just point, 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 point. And, you know, the next thing, they were far. And, I mean, they were going up sheer faces like this, where we battled to get up. Their little feet, they just go ching, 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 ching on those rocks and climb up. It was amazing. I mean, we didn't come anywhere close to catching them. When we were panting and out of breath, they were standing on the horizon on the top there, just checking us like this. You know, come on, lads, let's give it a go, you know? 
And the other, a few Sundays ago, Alna Kiev, Rainer's sister, sent me this beautiful clip, probably about as high as where the speaker is. It's a, a rock dweller in the, I think it's in the Kruger. And it goes up fairly sheer, and a pack of wild dog had seen these two clip springers and were trying to grab the clip springers. They ran up, and about halfway up, and I mean, it went like this, and then it went just about straight up. And these two clip springers are standing there. Some of the wild dogs were at the bottom trying to get to them. Others had gone around the back and come over the top. And they were running on the top of this rocky outcrop. And they were looking down. And there were the two clip springers. They were just standing looking down and then looking up, then looking down, then look up. Catch me if you can. Totally unfazed. Totally unfazed. You see, when we walk with God... He gives us hinds feet. That when we're dealing with things, we know how to ascend into the presence of God. Because when we ascend into the presence of God, there be no dragons there. And we become fleet-footed. But the last thing I want to say, and then I'm going to close. The other thing about this, and David talks about it, I think it's Psalm 42, when he talks about, you know, as a deer panteth for living water, so my soul panteth after thee. It's a particular kind of animal, very much like the waterbuck or the lechwe. And um, the lechwe in particular, even the waterbuck, I've seen them, when they're under threat, they jump into the river. Yeah. They get into water. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And so when they feel threatened, when they feel threatened, the lechwe is able to get into water and just have his nostrils just break the surface so that he can't be seen or be detected. Wasn't that awesome? You want to hide your spur from the enemy, live in the river because he can't track you. Amen? You're under pressure from the enemy. You know, you've got flies buzzing around your head. One of the two things, you can let the fire fall and get on fire. Another picture way of doing it is immerse yourself in the presence of God. Just go and jump into the river. Come on, if there's something against you, this is part of the walk with God. It's just jump into the presence of God. So David knew what it was like to be out in a dry and barren place, and he was longing for God. And for much of his life, he was being pursued. It was initially Saul. Later on, it was by other enemies. And David knew times like that. Let me immerse myself. This is, that's the way. It's the way. Is that right? It's the way. So, Father, I just want to thank you this morning for your people. Lord, I want to thank you that our walk with you is exciting. Lord, there's times where it doesn't feel like it, but, it, Lord, if we look at it in the long term and in the broader view, it's always exciting. You always, always bring us through. You always make a way. Where there is no way, you make a way. Lord, you always set before us an open door. Lord, if one is closed, another door opens. Lord, it's so awesome to walk with you. It's so brilliant to walk in holiness. Because when we do, we start to walk in the Spirit. And Father, I want to thank you. We walk not where the lions walk, not where wild beasts walk, but we walk where angels walk. We walk where spiritual beings, the cloud of witnesses walk. We walk where God walks. We walk where Jesus walks. And Father, I want to thank you. It's an elevated place. It's a higher place. Lord, it's a superior way in every way. Father, I just want to thank you this morning that we as ACF more and more 
Lord, as we walk in the Spirit, we'll walk in the Spirit. As we walk in holiness, we'll be living in the Spirit. And Father, I want to thank you that you will just continue to communicate to our spirits that authority that whether by just our actions or where our words are included, Father, that we release your power, that life of Christ comes out of us that is able to touch and transform others. Father, I want to thank you for it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Auntie Rosa came into my office on Thursday and she said there's a prayer request. Her daughter-in-law's friend was eight months pregnant and um, there was problems and they were rushing her through to the hospital. And um, Auntie Rosie was telling me, she was just going through the WhatsApp, that they couldn't pick up a heartbeat with the baby and there was issues. And so they were rushing this mom to hospital. And then Auntie Rosie said this to me. She said she cannot cannot lose this baby. She said a while ago, the same woman carried a baby full term, nine months, and then the baby was still born. She said she cannot. And I said, no, I agree with you. And so we just began to um, declare to the Lord that part of the curse was barrenness, but part of the blessing is fruitfulness. And Lord, we began to call the heartbeat of the baby back. And then Auntie Rosie came in Saturday morning to pray, and she showed me a picture, beautiful picture of this little baby that was born healthy on Friday night. Come on, that's awesome. Amen. So if we walk in his way and do his requirements, he gives us a place. <laughs> Let's stand together. Did you get something from the word this morning? Why don't we just lift our hands to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to walk in your ways to walk on that highway I'll do your requirements I'll do your words Father in the name of Jesus and you'll give me a place amongst those standing there